Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is The Man Who Astounded Jesus by Pastor Sean Wood. Come to a conclusion very quickly, and that is that when we read both the book of Acts and the gospel accounts, we are unable to form a prescription for anything. This is not a formula. You can't put, and we're going to speak about this today, you can't put God in a box. Uh, I don't know if anybody here has seen the movie Barnyard. Uh, It's a children's movie. Uh, I've seen it a few times with my kids. Most people may not have done, but it's basically about a farm and a farmer. The animals can talk, but they they behave normally when the farmer's around. And right at the start of the movie, uh, all the animals are in the barn and they're having a party and they can talk to each other and they're ordering pizza. So there you go, Josh. They're not weird people, they're animals. And so as the party goes on, it draws on nearly to a close and my boys will know what I'm talking about now. But then all of a sudden, somebody's walking out with this box it's a, it's a square box like this and the box is moving and the lid's almost bursting off the, and then the, they, they carefully place the box on the stage and they, they stand at a distance and they, they slowly peel the lid off and then out pops this enormously crazy little animal that just goes off, dances like I dance. <laughs> And everything gets crazy and everything goes to a whole new level when they let that little guy out of the box. And I want to challenge everybody in this room this morning because I wonder what would happen if we let God out of the box. I wonder what would happen if you let God out of the box in your life. And I wonder what would happen in our churches if we actually physically let God out of the box. Because we like to have a God we can control. We, we, we'll speak more about this later on. We, we like to have a God that we can write a formula and a prescription for. Here's how you get your healing. Here's how this happens. And, and God moves in this way. God made it clear to Job, were you there when I formed and fashioned the earth? None of us were there. If you're trying to work God out, give up. You're not going to work him out. He's too big for our formulas. He far exceeds any of our programs. And we're going to see today, there was a guy that encountered Christ and he let God out of the box. His faith, Jesus moved inside the parameters of this one man's faith and those parameters were enormous. And this miracle astounds me, let alone Jesus. But in in the first instance, we looked at Bartimaeus and Bartimaeus was the man that stopped Jesus. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, but he stops when a man cries out in faith. And, and then last week we looked at the wood. Now, if last week was an enormously freaky miracle for me, because if, you're, if you like prescriptions, if you like formulas, if you want to try and reduce God down, last week, if not this week, blows them out of the water. Because Jesus doesn't look at this woman. Jesus does not speak to this woman. Jesus does not give her any attention until she is healed. She reaches out in faith when there is a crowd pressing around Christ and everybody's touching his robes. One lady reaches out and grabs hold of his garments, but she reaches out in faith and she's made well. We're going to look at a guy today that if you can't have a prescription for Jesus after this. You can't have a box you can put Jesus in. They tried to put Jesus in a box when he was here on the earth and he broke out of it every time. I think it's time for the supernatural to return to the church. 
you know, we, we actually worship a God who is supernatural. It's not natural for a universe to come into existence from nothing. And if you're an atheist here today, it takes more faith to believe that than it does that somebody might have spoken it into existence. Our God is not logical to our standards. He's not reasonable to what the world's reasoning is. Luke chapter 7, we'll start in verse 1. It says that Jesus entered Capernaum. And Capernaum's an interesting little town. It's actually not a little town. It's, it's a pretty bustling kind of city because we know that, one, because there's a centurion there. We're going we're gonna to be introduced to a centurion in a moment. But a centurion was a guy who was in charge of 100 soldiers. And Rome didn't place 100 soldiers somewhere just for the fun of it. And also, there was a tax collector there. His name was Matthew. So he wasn't there for very long because when he encounters Christ, he follows Christ. And you didn't have tax collectors in small villages. You had tax collectors in large towns. But if there was a city in the time of Christ that that speaks significantly to our day, it's Capernaum. Because, you know, in in the city of Capernaum or in what part of Queensland you come from, Capernaum, I'm not sure uh, what you're pronouncing. And if you're from Tasmania, it's really weird. But at the end of the day, uh, Capernaum witnessed more of the miracles of Christ than any other town. The bulk of Christ's miracles occurred in Capernaum. And some of the most significant miracles occurred in Capernaum. And it's the same city that Jesus will speak about later on. And he says, woe to you, Capernaum. Why? Because if the miracles that were done in you had been done in Sodom, says Christ, they would stand to this day. Uh, I love how Rodney Howe Brown puts it. Rodney Howard Brown, I can remember being in a meeting in a large stadium and Rodney Howard Brown said, you know what, God could come down here tonight and lift this roof off the stadium, suspend it two metres in the air and put it back where it was. He said there'd be people in this room that say the bolts weren't done up tight enough. Capernaum's the kind of place that says the bolts weren't done up tight enough. Some people went so far as to be horrendously blasphemous and say... Yes, he does miracles, but he could only do miracles by the power of the enemy. How dare you say that? The enemy can't make anybody whole. How dare you say that? So he enters Capernaum, this struggling city, and he encounters somebody while he's there. He entered Capernaum, verse 2. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. And this is, this is rather remarkable. This centurion valuing a servant is reasonably remarkable. If, if you would like to compare the Roman Empire of first century to today, it kind of corresponds with North Korea. I don't say that lightly. It actually corresponds to North Korea. Life is cheap in Rome. Life is cheap in North Korea. You do not speak out against Kim Jong-un or whatever his name is. And you never spoke against the emperor. In fact, Rome, everything that Rome did, everything that the Roman citizens, particularly the Roman centurions, this is why this is an amazing account that happens here, including the Roman centurions, everything they did, they must have exemplified. They were to in every way exemplify the glory of Rome. And emperor was not a political position. To be emperor meant that you were more than human. You you were assigned divinity. The emperor was considered to be God. 
And you do not give that label to anybody else or it will cost you your life. Yes, Rome worshipped many different gods. Yes, they did. They had a god for just about everything half the time. But none exceeded the emperor. Jesus comes to Capernaum and there's a centurion there. A centurion that highly values his slave. A centurion that we will see is reasonably affectionate to the Jewish religion and the Jewish culture. The Jews and Israel were under subjection to Rome at this point in time. Rome had conquered Israel but decided to to coexist. Uh, Rome always wanted to kind of coexist. Most places they could not. But with Israel, there is this kind of blending. We want to rule over you, but we want you to also be an independent people. So Jesus meets a centurion, and when the centurion heard about Jesus, we find that uh, blind Bartimaeus was in a hopeless position. Blind Bartimaeus of two weeks ago was sitting by the roadside. He was blind. Nobody could help him. He was begging. There was no hope of a difference in his outlook at all until he heard about Jesus. And there was a woman last week who had suffered much at the hands of many physicians and she had lost all that she had. She had spent all that she had over 12 years due to an issue of bleeding that nobody could give her an answer for until she heard about Jesus. And today we meet a centurion who highly values his servant And all hope is lost until he heard about Jesus. And I don't know what position this morning finds every person in this room. But if you don't hear anything else this morning, I pray that you hear Jesus. I don't have the answers. No church denomination has the answers. Jesus has all the answers. Truth is not something you write down. Truth is a person. They had heard about Jesus and although we don't form prescriptions or formulas, we are looking for commonalities and although we're looking at different characters, we're looking at Bartimaeus and a woman and a centurion, let me tell you one thing that is absolutely paramount to everything that has happened here and that is Jesus. Every single miracle in the Gospels, if you take Jesus out of it, you have no miracle. It's all about Jesus. And the centurion had heard about Jesus. This is early in his ministry. Jesus has just finished the greatest sermon ever preached. The Greek definition for faith that we read about in the Gospels is the word pistis. And it is a firm persuasion or conviction based upon hearing. If we want faith to increase in our own lives, we need to hear The word of God. What does Romans 10 say? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If we want want a change in our community, they need to hear about Jesus. Because there's a lot of people in our schools, there's a lot of people in our workplaces that are at the same point that Bartimaeus, this woman and the centurion are at. They don't have any hope. And we have hope. So the centurion had heard about Jesus, and he does something rather remarkable. He sent to him the elders 
of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. This is profound. Why? Rome never asked for anything. They used to just come and take it. And the fact that he sends the elders of the Jews, the the Greek word for elder is presbyter, but it's basically not only are they old in age, but they are considered to be the dignitaries and the leaders of that town of the Jewish religion and the Jewish community. And he sends them. Listen to the military background. Listen to his military mind here. What he's saying is, I have no grounds to reproach this Jesus. I'm not in covenant with this God. I don't worship this God. I'm not a Jew. I'm a Gentile. I am not going to assume the right to approach this dignitary. I will send representatives. And immediately we get a snapshot of his heart. This centurion, there's a transaction that's happened. This centurion is well aware of who Jesus is. I don't think we can fully understand what it is Jesus can do for us until we begin to fully understand who Jesus is. The first one, who Jesus is, is most important. This centurion is aware of who Jesus is. The centurion is also aware of who he is because he sends and he asks And he pleads. So they do. He sent to them elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. Verse 4. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy. Why is he worthy? I find this to be an astounding statement. He is worthy. Worthy to have you do this for him. Why? For he loves our nation. And he is the one who built us our synagogue. I want, to make, I want to make one thing clear about worth. Worth has got nothing to do with what you do and everything to do with whose you are. Let me clarify that for a moment. You can't lift your value and your worth in the eyes of God by anything that you do. I've used this analogy before, but I'll, I'll use it again because it highlights it beautifully. Uh, just the other day, there's a, there's a show that's about a, a pawn shop where you come and sell things over in Las Vegas, and they get some pretty valuable stuff, and they get some pretty rare stuff. And this guy walks in with a guitar. Now, I'm not a musician, but to me, a guitar is a guitar. If you're paying 10 grand for a guitar, you're going to want 9,000 at least change, right? Am I right? I don't see a value in a guitar. But this guy walks in, and this is a really nice guitar. He's got some paperwork lined up on the desk with this guitar. And I'm thinking, at best, I'm thinking that the worth of that guitar at best is two grand. And the guy confirms it. He says, this is a, this is a nice guitar. But... The guy says, hang on a second, he says, this is a Les Paul guitar. I still don't, I don't know who Les Paul is. I don't really care. 
But not only is it a Les Paul guitar, it was played by some famous lady that was very closely linked with Les Paul. And here's all the paperwork to say who owned it, how long they owned it, who played it, here's the photos of them playing it. I'm going, oh no. So I'm thinking a $2,000 guitar. The pawnbroker's thinking a $2,000 guitar. But the moment we find out whose that guitar is, we're talking six figures. I'm still picking my jaw up off the ground. The, porn, the guy at the pawn shop said, I got this for a steal at $90,000. No, you get it for a steal if you get it for nothing. You don't get it for a steal if you pay $90,000. But it does highlight one important thing. You know, that guitar is just a guitar. But because of whose that guitar is, it has worth and it has value. Do you know, if we have a look at Jesus when it comes to worth. Do you know, if Jesus never came to earth, if Jesus never taught us what he taught us, if Jesus never healed one single person, if Jesus never even went to the cross, he's still worthy of all the praise, all the glory and all the honour. Why? Not because of what he's done, because of who he is. We always base worth, and so do these Jewish elders. Well, he's worthy because of what he's done. The fact of the matter is, there's not a person in this room that was ever worthy of what Christ has done. Let's look at that for a moment. It goes on and says, For he is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. That's, that's important to note. Jesus is now on the way to the centurion's house. He has full plans to walk into the house and to, and to lay hands and pray for the servant. That's, that's, that's what's happening here. Jesus is on that trajectory. And Jesus went with them when he was not far from the house. The centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, that's an interesting word for a Roman centurion to use. Lord. Lord, do not trouble yourself. Why? For I am not worthy. And this is the beautiful message of the gospel for every single one of us. There's not a person in this room that was ever worthy for Jesus to come under your roof. Not, not one of us. Not one of us was ever, ever, ever worthy. That's why when Jesus says, when Jesus says, come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What is he saying? He's saying, take my yoke upon you because my yoke is easy. What's the difference between our yoke and the yoke of Christ? One word, grace. Grace is Jesus bestowing worth on the unworthy. And that's what he's doing to the centurion right now. This centurion's not even in relationship with God. He doesn't deserve Jesus to even go out of his way. But none of us here deserved what Jesus did for us, but he did it anyway because he loves us and he bestowed his worth upon each one of us. Centurion says, I am not worthy. I marvel at what he says next. I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you. I'm not going to presume an audience with you, Jesus. I'm just a Roman centurion. I don't deserve for you to listen to me. I don't deserve for you to go out of your way for me. Jesus this pastor right here never deserved for you to walk the road to Golgotha for him either. But he did. Here's some profound words. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but you say the word. What? No, 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 no. No, hang on. 
Jesus is going to have a flask of oil, surely, or, or surely, he's going to, surely he's going to ring somebody, or surely somebody's going to be fasting and praying. If we're going to see any kind of miracle here, either someone's going to be fasting and praying, there's either going to be some oil, where, where, where's, all, where's the prayer meetings? Where's the... No, 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 no. The centurion says, all you have to do, my friend. You, you just have to say the word. What? What? You don't even have to come under my roof. You say the word right from where you are and everything will be okay. Say the word and let my servant be healed. For I am a man, listen to his speech, for I too am a man set under authority. He's beginning to understand what authority looks like. He says, I'm a man under authority. He says, if the emperor, who is miles away from here, if, if he sends word to me, I move. And he goes on and says, although he's a man under authority, with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. What's he saying to Jesus? Jesus, if I say to somebody who's miles away from me, if I say to one of my soldiers, go here, they go, because I have authority. And this centurion is pointing to the authority of Christ when he says, you just say the word. Have a listen to the enormous parameters of faith there. I, I, don't, I don't need any rituals here. I don't, I, don't, I don't fully understand everything. And again, the important thing that we find is not the amount of this centurion's faith, but his understanding of who Christ is. It's the object of his faith. He's sitting in his house going, you know what? You're obviously God, Jesus, because I called you Lord. If you're God, then, then you don't have to come under my roof. You spoke the universe into existence. I don't need you to come under my roof. And Jesus said, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, get up and move into the sea and it will be done for you. It's not the amount of faith that's important. It's the object of our faith. Who the object of our faith is. But you just say the word. And now we come to the point. <clears throat> when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. He marveled at the centurion's faith. He marveled and was astounded. This is the man that astounds Jesus. How often does our faith astound Jesus? How often does your faith astound Jesus? I love what Oscar Maru said at the conference. How often do we pray prayers that make God sweat? He was a guy that asked God that in five years I'd like to plant 200 churches. He planted 260. I wonder how often we make God sweat with our prayers. I wonder how often we astound Jesus with, the, with our understanding of who he is. There's nothing too hard for Jesus. And most people struggle at the worth stage. Well, other people deserve God to do this for them, but I don't. 
And we blow that out of the water today as well. Because if there was one person in Capernaum that didn't deserve Jesus to do anything for them, it was the centurion. He marveled at him. Jesus goes on, and turning to the crowd that followed him, he said, I tell you that not even in Israel have I found such faith. In the place where I should find faith, amongst all of the religious people of the day, amongst the people who are in covenant with God, I should find all of the faith there, but I can't find any faith there, but I can find faith in a Roman century. In all the house of Israel, I have not found such faith. Two of the most prominent factors in everything that has happened. Two of the most common factors we find in in Bartimaeus and the woman from last week and the centurion is Jesus is the first one. And the second one is somebody reaching out in faith. And I... My hope and my desire this morning is that we would have a fuller understanding of what faith is. And sometimes the best way to describe what faith is to look at what it is not, which is unbelief. If you read through the epistle uh, to the Hebrews, you will find that... um, you will find that the people of Israel did not enter the promised land. One generation, apart from two people, one generation perish in the wilderness and they don't enter into the promised land, which is, which is symbolic of the fullness of God. They don't enter into the promised land because, it says, of their unbelief. Hebrews doesn't make any mistakes. It's, it wasn't because of a breakdown in anything else apart from their belief. If you know the story of Israel and how they came out of Egypt, God, 400 years in slavery, God miraculously delivers them out of Egypt. He brings them en route. You know, in, in the beginning, they're only going to the mountain to worship. But of course, they're on their way to the promised land. We all know it was a 40-day journey that took them 40 years. We all know that they went round and round the mountain. Around the mountain in the wilderness, around the mountain, beating out a very, very solid path. What happens is they, they come out of Egypt, they reach the mountain and they're, they're all excited. We want to go and worship God. We, we want to see this God. And then God comes down in all his glory on the mountain and they're all like, you know what, Moses, you go up. We'll, we'll hang down here. But I want to have a look at some of just three. Just three of the attitudes that kept them in the wilderness. And what does unbelief look like? First one you will find is in Exodus chapter 16, verse 3. You can write these down and look at them later, where we find the term back in Egypt. We see, we see that uh, unbelief is manifested amongst the Israelites when they use the reference back in Egypt. You know, here we are in the wilderness. We're relying on the provision of God each and every day. But back in Egypt, we ate the meat that we wanted. We drank water when we wanted. And there is a longing in their hearts for Egypt. And I, friends, we need to leave Egypt behind. We need to stop longing for the things of this world. We need to stop longing for the safety and the comfort and the security. There is the fullness of security in God, but let me tell you this morning, he can be unsafe. You can't control him. And so first one is a longing for Egypt or a longing for the things of the world. And, and around and around the mountain they go. And, and I'm sure we're going to hit some nerves here this morning because I know as a pastor, I've done many laps around that mountain. 
I wore out many pairs of shoes doing laps around that mountain while God had stuff that he needed to teach me and to show me. What does God want? What did God want from Israel in the wilderness? What was it that God was looking for? Their reliance, their trust. Don't take any more manna. I'll give you some more tomorrow. Just take what you need for today. Next one. And these are the kinds of messages that pastors preach just before they go on holidays so that you forget by the time they get back. Second one is Numbers 11, verse 1, complaining and grumbling. Let me tell you now, friends, please take it from somebody who knows very, very well. Complaining and grumbling will keep you circling that mountain for as long as you want to complain and grumble. And it's not just complaining and grumbling about leadership, but we know that Israel complained and grumbled about Moses. They complained and grumbled about his leadership. But they, more than that, they complained and grumbled about the position that God had them in. If you read uh, Numbers 11, verse 1, you will find that they were, they were complaining and grumbling to Moses about their misfortunes and the circumstances that surrounded us. And now we're going to move to the big one. Now we're going to move this one here. <coughs> we'll keep you circling the mountain for a very long time. This one here is indicative. Uh, Exodus 32, 1. Write this one down. <coughs> Israel used the term, make us gods. This one's a biggie. And this, this goes further <coughs> than idolatry. If you want to know what idolatry is, tune in next week. We'll cover it a little bit more. It hasn't stopped, by the way. It just looks different today. But let me give you the breakdown of what happens in ex- by the time we get to Exodus 32. We, uh, Moses is up on the mountain. He's been up there for a long time, 40 days. They start talking amongst themselves and they say, you know what, uh, he's been up there a long time. We don't know what's going on. So they come to Aaron and they say, make us gods. Make us, make us something we can worship. And nothing's changed in, in many thousands of years today. We still want a God that we can fashion and control and we can beat into some kind of image that looks like something that we're happy with. Nothing's changed. That's exactly what's going on here. And, but, but it gets worse because what happens is uh, Aaron forms a calf for them and they worship, but they call that calf by the name of God, which is Yahweh. And today, friends, you will do laps and laps around the mountain while you are trying to beat God into an image that suits you. We like a God that's safe. We like a God we can control. At times, we like a God that will move when we say so. Letting God out of the box looks like, for each and every one of us here, I'm going to ask the worship team if they can make their way back. Letting God out of the box looks like tearing down some of those formulas. It looks like doing some heart assessment. I want to challenge everybody in this room this morning. Do you... Do you like to keep God in an image that suits you? Do you like to be safe? I want to challenge you to break out. Are you, this morning, do you feel like you're in the wilderness? The wilderness is a dry place. 
The wilderness is a barren place. But as the prophets have said, only God can make streams in the desert. And I want to make an opportunity this morning. If that's you this morning, if you're, saying, if you're sitting here this morning and you're saying to yourself, you know what? I've gone around that mountain far too long, Pastor. I want to step more into the fullness of what God has for me. I want to let God out of the box. I want to let him have control. I want to give him the number one place in my heart. That's what Exodus 32 is all about. It's about letting that glorious God that descended on the mountain to allow him to have the number one place in our hearts. The Apostle Peter, writing to suffering Christians, says, sanctify the Lord as Lord Jesus as holy in your hearts. And that means when you... When you sanctify something, you take it from what is ordinary and make it the very special. And I want to challenge everybody in this place today to take God from any place of ordinary. Jesus wasn't ordinary for the centurion. We're going to worship now. We're going to sing another couple of songs and... If you want prayer, then you can come down the front and we'd love to pray for you. But just as we've learned today, you don't need me to lay hands on you. God can touch you right in your seat. But reach out to Him in faith today. We'd love to pray with you if that's what you need this morning. Let us stand together. Let us worship God and let us reach out to Him in faith. Father, we thank you for your great love towards each one of us. I thank you, Father, that you are available I pray that every person in this place would reach out in faith right now to grab hold of the garments of Jesus, to cry out to you with desperation like Bartimaeus and Lord, to affirm today that you just need to say the word. We cast our focus upon you. We look to you in your wonderful and glorious name. Let us worship him. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.